Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Welcome to Value After Hours. I'm Tobias Carlisle. As always, I'm joined by Bill Brewster. Bill, what's your topic this week? We're going to talk about whether or not the uh, $1,000 comp number for Netflix subscribers is a legit comp or funny math. And Jake Taylor, what are you talking about this week? We're going to be playing a game that's a investment version of Mary F. Kill that we call Buy Trade Short. And my topic is Michael Green's thesis on the rise of passive investing causing a melt-up and then a 1929-style crash. This is a holiday special. We'll see you right after this. Merry Christmas. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquires Funds. For regulatory reasons, we will not discuss any of the acquirer's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of acquirer's funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquirersfunds.com. That's quite a way to introduce a holiday special. <laughs> yeah, 1929 style yeah. crash. And then there's going to be just carnage. Happy holidays. So let's let's start with uh, what's Bill Nigren's take on Netflix. So he he's using HBO as the comp for the Netflix valuation, where AT and T purchased uh, what is it a uh, Warner for or yeah for approximately a thousand dollars a sub, right? Oh no, our guy fell. That's terrible. Oh well. <laughs> To those on YouTube, at least Jake and I are in the uh, Christmas spirit still. <laughs> anyway, so his whole thesis is the takeout value based on the AT&T transaction for Netflix is approximately $1,000 a sub. And I just think it's important for people to think um, for themselves on this. And I, I, I sort of understand why in Barron's um, – you know, Mr. Nigren's using that as as an easy pitch. Um, but I so if you look at the recode um, conference that Michael Nathanson did, he talks about HBO and Disney having brands that create spend efficiency. Um, Matt Ball recently, I think he's about to sort of change the way that people talk about Netflix and and he said I find it bizarre that people have criticized Disney Plus's 1 to 2 point billion original content budget as being laughable in today's streaming wars putting aside the strength of Disney's library this 1. 1 to 2 billion spend is probably several times more impactful for, per dollar than the 1. 1 to 2 billion that would be spent by Netflix and HBO's 1.5 billion in original programming is modest compared to Netflix's 10 billion but they generate equivalent Emmy nominations and IMDb traffic. So I just think it's sort of interesting. You know, you read you read Barron's and it's a neatly packaged pitch, but you look a little bit deeper and AT&T's history of acquisitions is, leaves a little bit to be desired. And the efficiency that HBO and Disney have to acquire customers and put it out the distribution machine you know they're different businesses. I don't think that you can say that they're comps. Why? Why are they different businesses? Well, I think HBO traditionally 
at least as I perceive what AT&T wants to do with that asset, you probably got a higher income base. Um, they were traditionally distributed through a cable package. Now AT&T can sort of bundle it with their um, wireless or, or total bundle offering. And AT&T... It sort of makes AT&T's distribution system more efficient, right? As opposed to Netflix, who has to produce content to keep people hooked, to keep them watching. It's just a very, in my mind, a different A, business model, and B, reason for, for owning the content. Plus, Netflix is global. HBO only really has the rights in the U.S. So it's just not, it's not in my mind don't they converge over time well i yeah i i think long term it'll be interesting to see how hbo or hbo max actually performs i mean i i would not be shocked to see hbo distributed through netflix in the very long term but medium term i could see it being a real problem i think it's funny the way uh you know i I know that Netflix spends a lot of money, but I don't see a lot of really great shows coming out of that money spend. If I think about the amount of time that I spend, we would watch HBO much more often than we'd watch Netflix. And Disney Plus, like Disney's got one show, really. It's got The Mandalorian, which, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's heading south pretty quickly. <laughs> I think Bill Burr dropping the, dropping the alien was a big, was the highlight of like the last two weeks. Well, I mean, I think that you could say that that is sort of what Netflix is really good at, right? I mean, they even if a lot of the content isn't great per se, they are very good at continuing to release content. Now, it comes at the cost of free cash flow. How yeah, I mean, you could probably do a pretty good job if I wrote you a check for 15 billion a year to spend on just go make stuff, right? Would you make Would you make The Irishman if you had that much money? I did not like The Irishman. No, neither did I. I, not, I, I didn't Maybe even I bother didn't. watching it after hearing all the all the how about, people can't get that life back those three hours. I was right. prepared to watch it. I was because pre- I kind of like Scorsese. I like all those guys. Like I loved um, Mean Streets and Godfather and, and Casino and all that stuff. So I was I'm I'm the kind of person who who would watch it and enjoy it. I just couldn't like De Niro is just not believable, even though they de-aged like he's supposed to be thirty-seven. They de-aged him to like they de-aged him to fifty-seven. He still looked His old. His walk was still seventy. He still looked old, like when he was stomping that guy. I felt bad for the. I felt bad for De Niro. I thought he was going to throw a hip out. <laughs> throw his his back out. Yeah, it took me a long time to watch. I think I watched it over three nights. Um. I don't know. I wanted it to be casino, and it just wasn't, which is probably unfair. I saw somebody. It was Tony Greer, actually. I, I feel bad calling him out, but uh, he said he loved uh, he loved the Irishman, but he hated Once Upon a Time on Wall Street. Which I felt the reverse. I loved Once Upon a Time on Wall Street. Uh, on Once Upon a Time on Hollywood. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Freud and slip there. Have you, <laughs> well, have that's. You, I, have you seen that? I like to- yeah, and I loved it, and I like to think that I can appreciate a good film, and I actually I've used that as my example of like, no, I can appreciate film, but uh, I don't know, The Irishman just didn't do it for me. 
I didn't know anything about Once Upon a Time, and I watched it all the way through. I was cheering at the end because I, I had no idea. I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but I, was, I had this sick feeling the whole way through, and I was, I was literally like cheering out loud in the final scene. I loved it so much. I uh, that's an interesting. Like, what are people using now for different metrics for returns on content spend? Well, they don't, you, you mentioned they don't publish IMDb. You mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you know traffic like what's what are people using now instead of actual cash as the uh marker of success well they they try to win the awards right like they've all tried to win emmys and and but that doesn't and correlate with actually like what people want to watch right maybe Typically. it makes you credible for yeah. future content yeah i mean i you know i think um i don't know we'll see at&t is probably doing it they'll probably measure it in churn reduction uh disney's you know gonna argue that it gets you in their ecosystem and creates some revenue synergies i guess um what's what, to get to let's just go back to nigran's one thousand dollar uh comp. comp yeah so what's the the average revenue per user for uh netflix do you have any idea what that is bill oh not off the top of my head i mean i i'm not looking at my spreadsheet you guys have seen the sheet though it's quite long it's that long to get out to the where they're actually making money out into that you know distant future it's a big spreadsheet yeah i don't know i mean they're i i think that they're their cash spend and what they're bringing in is pretty aligned on a on a forward user basis i mean where i got super nervous with that is when they hit the user hiccup because it got me pretty worried that something in the little algorithm had changed. Uh, and it was, I mean, statistically speaking, it was a pretty big miss. I think it was. Didn't you, if I remember right, you said that as you felt like as long as they were accurate about predicting sub changes, then you felt comfortable with it. But then they, they swung and missed on what they said they were expecting. Yeah. I, th I thought that if they could keep their spend per projected user flat, that or or within a range, right? I, I sort of felt like they had the algorithm figured out. That hiccup, I mean, I, my math might be a little wrong, but I thought it was south of two standard deviations. And you know, when you're spending that much, I mean, that's not a cheap stock, right? So um, there's you don't have a lot of room for error. I got to say, in full disclosure, I have been short, but we're rolling out of the short uh, literally today. So um, I think that. The reason, and I'll just tell you why we're 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 taking it off. It, not that I I still think that it's it's overvalued, and it's I still think it's um, it's got a lot of trouble. Like it, it's got a lot of issues. A like big big negative, free cash flow, lots of debt, lots of competition. Uh, it's just that there are better opportunities out there at the moment. I think it's it's really really beginning to look like a target rich environment for shorts. You've you've been dreaming about this forever. Well, well, I think other, it's other been... than that, though, how was the play? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've heard there are lots of there are lots of guy, investors who I respect who are on the other side too. Lots of investors, Bill being one of them, who who have been long and uh, are continue to believe in that total addressable market is massive. That SaaS business is going to scale easily. Um, so I need to bear some of that in mind. There are pretty good arguments on the other side too. I still think it's probably it's just I just think it's kind of in no man's land at the moment. I don't want to be long it, but I definitely don't I don't want to be short it at the moment either. I think I still think long term 
they can win. Um, but I, I think that th- there is going to be a lot of pain inflicted between all these streaming platforms. And I, I remain fairly uh, convinced that we're probably going to see a situation where everybody's just trying, like, I, I don't, I watched The Irishman, I turned off a of Netflix. I don't miss it right now. I'll probably be back at some point. Um, I'll let you I know if Disney anything Plus. good comes on. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Like, I'm going to watch Disney Plus for a little while, and then I'll go back to Netflix, and then maybe I'll check out HBO Max. I'm just going to churn off all these things. I mean, Prime is very good. I watch a lot of Prime. I do, too. Um, it and, is pretty good. And that feels like it's free, because you're kind of paying the whatever it is annually for the uh, so they can send you the, the packages overnight. All right. I mean, the, th- the thing about Netflix that's tough, I think, is their U.S. streaming is where a lot of the money is, right? I mean, they're going to try to scale into India with like $3 a month um, subscriptions. I don't know how much you can make on $3 a month, but I don't I, – I just think – If it's all margin. Yeah. I mean, once you hit the but point it's not, where – isn't there – don't they have to – Aren't they making content specific for I actually think they, their local content, I watched some of that Indian content. I think it's excellent. I think it's some of the better stuff that they have. Well, what's interesting that I, you know, I, I don't think maybe people here appreciate, their international competition, at least according to Matt Ball, is really not very strong. Uh, the way that the rights are split up around the globe, Netflix is sort of the only one that owns all the rights to all their distribution. So, you know, I, I think it can work. I just don't think that you can say, well, AT&T, who almost objectively overpaid for DirecTV and doesn't have any good history of making, you know, great acquisitions is all of a sudden my comp for Netflix. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm sure Wait, they... My, my condo in 2007 in Las Vegas comped at... One point two million dollars. So right. it must be worth that, right? I don't think yeah. that, that's. All, I'm always a little bit skeptical of those kind of analyses because it's so hard to compare the two. And and then you know a thousand dollars for per sub for Netflix, like that's bullish if you're talking about three dollar monthly gross revenue from uh, from some some of the folks outside the US. Yeah, well, and then he said, like, they're going to add so many subs, and then you multiply it by 1,000, so they're they going to gain, like, $25 billion in value this year. Well, I mean, I don't know. That's some funny There's math. 7.2 billion people in the world with $1,000 <laughs> per sub. Let's get, get That's us right. to $7 trillion. That's exactly right. Now, I mean, those guys are super smart, so I bet if you're sitting in their office, it's a much more detailed conversation. But We're going intergalactic. <laughs> To get the real Tam. <laughs> Netflix is the first company on Mars. <laughs> That's right, yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's do my topic, which is um, Michael Green, who uh, has previously been at Teal Capital. I'm not sure where he is now. I think he's, he, he may still be at Teal. I'm just not sure. Uh, he's he's uh, one of the smartest guys out there. You can see him on Real Vision um, interviewing Josh Wolf and Chris Cole and lots of other guys who... Uh, are very intelligent. Michael's a very, very smart guy. Um, I have heard his thesis about passive investing, which is basically, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's on Real Vision now, and he's he's been sharing it for a little while. He has this idea that as passive 
are investing takes up more and more of the market. The ability for active investors to course correct or to push companies that get away from their intrinsic value back to intrinsic value uh, diminishes such that passive kind of takes over and it's it's just flows that go to the biggest companies are always, so the, the big just keep on getting bigger and the companies that don't receive the flows are kind of left behind and the upshot of all of that is that eventually you get this um, this point where passive takes over the market and I think the tipping point could be 50% and we could be I think we're almost there there's I've seen a few different measures it could be it could be a little bit lower than that, but there's there's one there's some measures that say we could be at fifty percent, and at that tipping point, you have this melt up, followed by this nineteen twenty nine style crash. So, uh, just throwing it out to you guys, what what do you what do you think of the thesis, and what do you think of the the, the likely outcome of that? I find it to be very interesting in that uh, part of the thesis is explained by. Um, by older investors who are typically more in active funds who are selling for, you know, to perhaps de-risk or even liquefy their portfolio to, to cover living expenses. And they're being replaced by younger uh, investors. So there's kind of a generational gap here that the younger investor is, is more prone to being a passive investor. So we have a natural gradient between you know who's selling and who's buying and what are their styles, uh, and that only exceed it only exacerbates this problem towards passive. Um, I am very curious about how they do this modeling to figure out like where is the escape velocity where, or or like the singularity where all of a sudden there there are no more people providing liquidity and all we have is buyers on the other side, uh, and no one. And that that buyer is now totally price insensitive because they're a they're an index, and you end up you know with just that perfectly you know approaching full insanity mode. Uh, it's it's rather it's rather shocking actually if you think through it uh, is the way that that Michael explained it. Just that the marginal buyer, in order to get to get the next share, that the price goes up. Yeah, the price goes up exponentially. So, you know, there's, you can look at, there are some funny charts out there at the moment. If you look at the price to earn, forward price to earnings on the S&P 500, it has gone vertical over the last uh, three to six months in a material way. I mean, it's, the, I, I, I don't know that that's evidence for what he's saying, but it is kind of like it is, it's, it's, not, it's not disproving what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I had tweeted out about Greenblatt saying that the S&P was in the top one percentile, or not the S&P, the Russell 2000 is in the top one percentile, and the S&P is in the top, what, 14? Um, and I got a lot of, I got some pushback with some charts that say that that's not true. I don't know how he does his stuff. Um, but I, I have noticed, I mean, we've had a, a big re-rating, obviously, this year. Um, the, the, the Michael Green thing is really interesting. I found it fascinating to listen to. The thing I don't fully understand is the flows go in in a proportion to the existing allocation, right? So, like, I don't understand why Active couldn't set the price and move the proportion that the flows go in at. I could see a scenario, I I guess, where 
if if the price gets to a point where active just doesn't want to take the risk but flows keep coming in because a bunch of people that are just doing passive to do it i i guess i could see a scenario where just flows take the market way out of whack but i don't know i i don't know i well, like jake said i need to see it, i mean isn't it kind of a, a gresham's law of logic though where as you drive out the next logical person who sees it getting disconnected from what it's really worth, now there's that next person that gets taken out that says, well, I don't think it's worth this. I'm going to sell to the index. And then the next person, and eventually we run out of people who are logical and all we have left is the buyer. You run out of lesser and fools. there's no liquidity left. And, you, and now you run out of lesser fools. We've run out of lesser fools, and now there's – there's no one to provide liquidity because we've already driven them out and it's now it's all indexed and now the price can go asymptotic because we don't have any, there's no liquidity to, there's tons of bid, but no no shares to, to be supplied. You'll see me on the ask. I'll be having like really low asks out there. <laughs> <laughs> right? I haven't said this to oh, my- wait. No, bids, bids, I guess, not asks. My bad, Teddy Market Maker. But yeah, I, I, my whole theory is if he is correct and he's saying that there's going to be no liquidity, then you might have to set yourself up as the liquidity provider and just throw out really low bids on these stocks. And if people want to sell, they got to sell to somebody. Um, so well, maybe that's they've, how they've got, they sell to the they sell to the index provider, don't they? they? Because there's a constant bid under these stocks. Yeah. They're just going to go vertical. That's the part that comes after the vertical then you want to be the really low when everyone wants to get out then at that point that's when yeah, you that's right. provide the bid but but in the meantime get levered how, get long how <laughs> yeah in the meantime yolo right i mean i don't that's right it's, it's it really is a recipe like i it's very easy for me to imagine a scenario where we we look back at this time period and go what were people thinking that was so obviously stupid it can't, everyone can't index at the same time it would never work and yet we just kind of do it. I Michael hasn't come on the. M Michael's going to come on my podcast. It, it's a little way away. It's it's a couple of months at the moment, um, and so I haven't said this to him. So, I, uh, but I, I, I sometimes think that uh, finance guys forget that the market, and I. So I'm just he doesn't get a chance to respond to this. He he will he will in 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 due course. But I think they forget that there are the stock market is not the only thing out there. Like if the if the if undervalued stocks don't catch a bid, from my perspective, that's great because I'm going to go around and hoover all of those those companies up, and I'm I'm relying on the fundamental performance, dividends, and growth in uh, book value and so on to generate my return. So it's it's kind of ideal for me if they don't if some of these good companies don't catch a bid just by virtue of the fact that they're smaller members of the index. That's great, isn't it? Why is that bad for a fundamental guy? No, it is. I mean, it's it's setting up to be a absolute premium time for a fundamental discretionary investor who who can take the pain though of underperforming against an asymptotic index so really i think the the my prescription would be to if you are measuring yourself don't don't compare yourself to the index probably over the next couple of years and just focus on doing smart things you know finding things that are undervalued by those getting long patience uh, and I think you'll be rewarded for it. Uh, but if you're trying to keep up with everyone else and you have FOMO, I think you're you're likely to really take it in the in the shorts. 
I mean, there's a chance that at some stage, the dividends just get so material to the most undervalued stocks. And, you know, there's private equity and other guys out there. Private equity will take these companies private because they've got lots and lots of dry powder that money's really cheap. And they'll be able to take them private at a pretty significant premium. And so I think that would, that would still be a good environment for a value guy. Who might get screwed in that is the people that can't invest in private equity, though, right? Um, but you can I invest mean, in, I, in a value fund. That's right, or Big Larry Holdings. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's somebody that doesn't mind underperforming. Um, it's a long time horizon. <laughs> that's right. You, you, you do have to show up to the annual meeting if you do that, though. Um, no, for, I, for those I, who I, don't know, Jake's a holder of Big Larry. Have we discussed I, that on this podcast before? No, we haven't. And I'm not sure we will. I don't need that kind <laughs> yeah. of confirmation bias. <laughs> um, to be fair, you're in the green last time we talked about it, though. I'm so. not going to say one way or the other. It bottomed around it's, 80. It's currently about $115. So uh, he, uh, so I, there's a good chance Jake's in the green. Yeah. We, we might have to edit all this out. <laughs> I'm not, this, this stays. <laughs> Anyway, um, I, you know, I think that with, within value, there's a, there's a premium on capital returns and whether or not management like the GameStop thesis, right, completely rests on whether or not management is going to do the right thing with that money. Um, we'll see, you know, and and I think maybe maybe you get more activists that come into these smaller companies that actually start putting management teams in place that care a lot about shareholder return. And in that case, from a cash flow basis, yeah. It's a home uh, run. That's right. Anyone that's willing to do that work. Or uh, if Michael Burry or an activist can compel GameStop to do the right thing. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, this is, we hadn't read this as a topic, but Michael Burry, um, you know, I had, I had at one, one week, like a month ago, he had, GameStop had its, it was the best performed stock in my little screener. And so mm -hmm. I tweeted out, Michael Burry still got it and got uh, corrected in uh, the tweets underneath. There are like countless responses saying, this is a melting ice cube. And then, you know, more recently it's fallen. It was the biggest loser in the, in the screener. And so I tweeted out, maybe Burry don't got it no more. <laughs> and I got more responses to that one, and that, I think that argument is still ongoing on Twitter. There are guys duking it out in the uh, in the comments. In your to comments. That one. Yeah. Yeah, I think the kids would say you got pwned on that, right? Yeah. P W N E D or whatever. You, you that was uh, that was very funny to watch from afar. I got I got I owned like, both oh, ways. Toki's getting lit up on this. <laughs> it's funny that it's so polarizing. So each tweet is like. People are angry for each tweet. For what it's worth, I believe that Burry hasn't lost it. I think he's still got it. I think that GameStop's going to work out, but uh, we're you know we're well below water on that one. Well, the question is, are they going to buy in all the shares? Or are they going to at some point give a special dividend? In my mind, I mean, even their their last earnings call to me was sort of like, okay, we're using the working capital shrinkage to buy the shares, and then we got one more good console cycle in us. And it's like, okay, well, what then, right? Um, so I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. OJ Rennick, who's the, the, the anchor on the TD Ameritrade 
show. He he had this interesting take where he was like, they need to turn these things into like uh you know a Starbucks like land party. You remember when you were when you were a kid and you like yeah. everybody would bring their computers and hook them all up and you could play games against each other. I'm like that's actually a brilliant idea. I said to him that that's a blockbuster idea. Uh, <laughs> solid yeah thanks and but i actually do think it's a good idea i think it's a uh i think it's a it's kind of interesting like maybe people do want to go out maybe people want to go to a place and hang out and talk games and they'll buy drinks and things while they're there and not necessarily to buy games just as a meeting place i think that can work uh you know living the GameStop lifestyle uh we'll have the restoration hardware lifestyle the starbucks lifestyle the GameStop lifestyle but I think you got to make the stores much bigger, yeah. right? Like nobody, those GameStop stores suck. Like I don't want to go in and hang out there. If you had huge TVs and like a very cool setup, I could see wanting to go in and play a game with other people. I mean, um, if Capital One wants to sell me a coffee while also trying to get me to open a credit card, like why not? Why not GameStop? That's right. They do that in Omaha, don't they? We we went and checked that one out in Omaha. There's one here in Chicago. I thought about opening a credit card. I did. For, for an espresso latte. But I thought about latte. it. That's right. Yeah. You, you, were, you were coming up on the caffeine. You were peaking on the caffeine. Everything looked good in the world. That's right. We'll give you a $3 coffee and 21% APR. How's that sound? <laughs> don't, don't, I don't know. I'm so of, tweaked. Uh, that was one of Cialdini's things was get people caffeinated, wasn't it? I, I don't know, but that's a, it, it works was. on me. It's definitely you got some reciprocity thing, right? You give me a small coffee, I'll just, you know, run my balance up. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't lose. Uh, Jake, what's your topic? Well, in the uh, name of of the holidays, I thought it'd be fun to play a game. And uh there's this kind of fun game that you can play that uh, is it's called Mary F Kill, uh the F being <laughs> You know what you think it is. Yeah, we get it. We get it. <clears throat> and you, typically, you play it with celebrities. You know, so you'll name three different celebrities, and then you have to decide. You know, which one would you marry? Which one would you f? And which one would you kill? And uh, in the in our, we're gonna adapt it to be by trade short. So you have to make a decision now. On the first one is buy. So this is a single security. That's Mary. That's Mary. Yep. Uh, it, you have to buy it at today's price, and you have to hold it for 30 years. And you also have to assign X percent of your your net worth to it. So let's start with that one uh, for just just before we do it. Can I give you can I give you my predictions for what everybody says? So I yeah. think yeah. I think buy everybody says Berkshire. Yeah, I think no, I'm not going to go there. I think I'm going so. to a different place. Everybody says Tesla. I kind of know that that one's going to happen, but trade trade is kind of up in the air. Trade is interesting. It's actually very difficult. I'll I'll tell you the rules of the trade after we go through the buy first. What's your What's your buy, Bill? I think I'm probably going to buy LVMH. Mm, interesting. That might be really stupid. This might be peak luxury, peak quality, but they perform pretty strong through the downturn. You got an emerging market that's getting wealthier over time. They got a lot of brands that people want to peacock with. I don't see that going out of style. I think that might be where I go with this. Is that like buying the, uh, you know, the cake manufacturer that makes the cake specially for all the royal family right before the uh, French Revolution? 
<laughs> yeah, it could be. I was talking to uh, to my buddy Tiso, uh, the science of hitting investing, and he was saying that I was like, well, you know, luxury, you just don't have to invest a whole lot, and you can push price mid single digits, and you got EM. And he said, yeah, that sounds a lot like CPG five years ago. Yeah. Ouch. That's, that's yeah, hard. that's that's, that's sort of true. I'm gonna Tell say what... I'm gonna say Berkshire just just because I I know you want to say it, Jake. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm. I'm, I'm... Yeah, I think. Just because I think it's, uh, I, I don't think you lose money in Berkshire, and I think you get at least kind of S and P five hundred better than S and P. I think you're paying like S and P five hundred ish multiple. I think it's at a slight premium on a multiple on like a PE basis at the moment, but I do think the underlying businesses are better than that. Would make me a little bit nervous that uh, the the two Todds are going to be swinging at stuff like Amazon and Oxy. Yeah, and restoration. Is that not in your? Hey, he bought low. <laughs> But I, I think that, like, if the if the timeline is thirty years, I think that the uh, for me the risk becomes the stock doesn't make it to the thirty years. So I think that you need something pretty diversified, financially strong, where they're thinking at least they're thinking about capital allocation, whether they're doing it right or not. So I think it'll be there in thirty years. I I think it's a great pick, like one that you would most people you would sleep easy with that one. Um, I'll be a little different, and I'm actually going to say Fairfax. And my logic is, one, you already took Berkshire. Uh, two, <laughs> two um, I've, I've, after going to the meeting now for several years in a row, like I've come to appreciate the bench strength that's behind Prem. Uh, and I think it may be just as good as Berkshire is um, because Prem, I think, has been quicker to outsource mo- more things than, than Warren has, uh, just based on my kind of observation of both of them the businesses are not as good as berkshire's uh but there's a lot more international element to it as well than than berkshire like they're they're much more willing to go do other things uh outside and they always have been um so they've they've been pretty good insurers they the investment results i'm hoping will revert to some kind of mean at some point because they have not been great the last few years um but I think over, I think the company's still around in 30 years, and I think it still is, uh, still reasonable. And you're paying, you know, probably about half as much as you are for Berkshire's assets in the ballpark of there. You know, you said that that the investment results aren't good, uh, or what they what they should be. But um, and this is probably you know small pennies in a you know in a bucket or whatever. But they bought Toys R Us Canada out of bankruptcy, right? And then they got Bauer out of bankruptcy too, right? And um, and what the Bat Company too? Um, Eastern. I, I did, yeah. I did not appreciate uh, what Prem was doing in the private distress market until I went to that meeting, and I said, oh, you know, that's pretty interesting. If I trusted them from a macro basis, I think I'd be more willing to make that bet. Do they also have uh, BlackBerry? Uh, yeah. yeah, but that's public. They're, they're, they've that got a big a, chunk. Of, like they're they're the guys. They're kind of BlackBerry, aren't they? Yeah, this is a technical term. That's a shit show right now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been a short a few times in my screens. I don't think I've actually pulled the trigger on it, but it's been in there or close by. I mean, even the way that he pitches it, he's just like, John Chen's really smart. They have some IP. I hope he figures out what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, the investment results the last 
10 years, I would say, have been not great. If you go the 10 years before that, though, they're pretty good. Um, you know, they they made a lot of money in the downturn. They, they're run pretty conservative. They're not as conservatively run as Berkshire, but... The start um, of the decade before that, though, they were also a global short. They were in a lot yeah. of trouble. Right. And that, that'd be my only real concern with them is that, you know, last one of our previous episodes, we talked about how Berkshire's always been kind of an N minus one acquisition company where they're a little slower to, they're always one deal behind and have extra cash. Uh, Fairfax has not been that way. They've been more of an N plus one sometimes in my view, um, a little overly aggressive. Uh, but, you know, hopefully they learn from that and and get more, uh, get a little bit more, you know, it's been better the last few years, I think is what I should say. I'm trying to find the, there's a, uh, there's a, a fund that was established in uh, the wake of the 29 crash. Did you guys read about this this week? And mm -hmm. basically they, they gave, they, they, they wanted to take away, they've given, they gave it a permanent holding. So I think they gave it 20 or 30 stocks and they said, you're not allowed to trade these stocks. You have to hold these stocks. And it's gone through like five different owners and, you know, countless management teams since then. It's still going though. And I think a lot of the reason why is, uh, and it's, I think it's, it's outperformed the market, which is the most kind of amazing thing. So what happens with a bankruptcy or an M&A? They uh, they don't they don't replace it, but in some instances, what's happened is Berkshire. Well, one of the Berkshire bought one of the companies and did it for stock, so they picked up some Berkshire, which has helped them um, a lot. I just can't for the life of me find the name of it. Well, this is very anticlimactic. <laughs> let's move on to let's move on to F or AKA trade. Uh, and the rules for this one are that you're forced to day trade this. And you have to pick at the beginning of every day, every session, are you long or short for that day? And, mm -hmm. and this is only for the next, let's say, five years. So this is kind of like dating the stock a little bit or, or effing it if you if you want to. <laughs> so you have, I, so I, I have to day trade it or I, can I hold it for three years? I can't hold it for three. Yeah, well, you could just be you could be long every day for three years. Yeah, you can. You know, we play where you don't miss the gaps. I don't want to miss the gaps up. Because obviously what I'm trading is gapping hard. We're still talking about stocks here, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm Maybe. going to the glasses for this one. <laughs> oh. Going to the glasses. That's so good. And can you I'm see to the future with those? I can. I can. And I might even be breaking some rules. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I'm day trading American Airlines options. Ooh. All right. Uh, I think that... I don't want the equity of that company at all. It's got a lot of debt. The CEO is relying on his liquidity in a downturn. If that's the case, uh, you got more debt, so you got a bigger interest burden. But they've uh, invested a ton over the last five years. They say they're they're out of the the capex cycle. You've got three billion of debt being paid down over the next two years if everything goes according to plan on a $12 billion market cap and the EV tends to hover around 40 billion. So uh, it usually trades debt and equity. Meanwhile, they're buying in 10% of their shares. I could see that thing going a lot higher. And uh, you know, the, 
the squiggly investor in me would note that it it's already formed two lower or higher lows. Uh, so you got a bottoming position and the glasses say you got to buy. <laughs> also, this is not financial advice and position size well because you could lose it all. So that was uh yeah we didn't say how much how how long would you be your uh what's your what's your percentage that you're putting into Berkshire and uh LVMH Oh well if it, I mean it's I got to own this for what 30 years isn't 30 it, years isn't yeah. it one stock for 30 years isn't Yeah I think that's what it is so yeah. I mean I'm but going to YOLO. I I mean I got to have 70% I got to have some dry powder for all this American Airlines money I'm about to make Okay, how much are you going to allocate to your trading uh, portfolio? Uh, I probably like ten percent, but I'm expecting to lose. Uh, I'm not putting ten percent down every day. Yeah, and I got to be able to take some drawdowns in the trading account. Right. I'm I'm going to interpret the trade as this is potentially a zero, but it's something that I think I, I don't know how long it'll take to work out, but it kind of, it hasn't worked out in three to five years. It's not going to work out. So this is sort of more the stuff that I do okay. uh, on a, on a regular basis. I'm not going to talk about anything uh, that I actually hold. This is a company that's a little bit too small for me. Um, and I heard the pitch from an investor who I, who I like and respect a lot. Um, it, the, the ticker is CRC. It's California resource corporation. It's a spin out. It's a oil and gas play 5.4 billion dollars in debt 400 million dollars in market cap <laughs> oh i love it i so love it it's 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 clearly it's like it's highly levered and it's highly levered to the oil price so i think the, so then the, you buy options on the equity that's yeah, right the, the equity is the option in this one the, the issue, you know, clearly there's a risk that this is a zero. So because oil's volatile, they got debt, you can blow up, you can lose all of your money in this thing. But it's also one of those stocks that because it's so uh, heavily levered and levered to the oil price, if you get a reasonable move up, it's one of those things that does go up 10 or 20 times, some silly amount like that. So that's, that's, my, um, that's my trade. Then you get the Momo buyers that come in after it's up, you know, 10x. That's awesome. I love it. That's a good segue because that was how I tackled the trade portion was I wanted to look for what has momentum persistence. So each day, is it more likely to just go up a little bit the next day or if it's going down to go down a little bit the next day? Uh, and so I did a little research on that and it really pulls up some strange names if you look at for recently. Uh, but the one that I just picked out of kind of the grab bag there, because I don't think that you can actually like pick one that makes more sense than another, but was actually a Greek ETF. And so it's just basically owning Greece. Uh, and I thought, well, there's going to be so much headline probably problems because, you know, Greece is the redheaded stepchild of Europe. If Europe go goes bad, you, you can just kind of short this Greek thing as much as you want uh, <laughs> along the way every day. Uh, and then when things like when the news kind of dies down, maybe you just go long a little bit every day and uh, it kind of ticks its way back up as people stop paying attention. Uh, so it's kind of the canary in the coal mine uh, approach to it. Yeah, I like that one. You're pretty levered to Greece. You got the Greek bank that Prem owns, too. That's right. I like that. I like that. Your look through Greek exposure is quite high. How did you assess that it has this persistence on a daily basis? Uh, I just did a, actually just a, a quick screen on like 
relative strength and that pulled up a, a basket of names that have over you know certain time periods have had persistence so both directions it just tends to be so, so is it is it more volatile than the market no uh, I don't know if you would call it more volatile, um, but it's it's persistence. It's, yeah, just the price persistence like tends to go up when it's going up or down when it's going down. Uh, but you may anyway, have just found a uh, rentic uh, position there. Yeah, it might be, huh? You just gave it away. <laughs> That's what we're good at here. Uh, so giving away is, the good stuff. Yeah. So this one is kill, and this would be a short that you have to have. Uh, you have to be short it for, let's say, five years. Oh. So you got to start now, and I'd say Tesla, but it won't be here. Oh. <laughs> well, that's that's okay, right? You get to cover. That's a good answer, then. Yeah. You. <laughs> I think we're all going Tesla, right? I'd be fine shorting Peloton too. I'll take whatever one you guys don't want. Okay, well, what's your what's the reasoning for wanting to short Tesla then for you, Toby? Uh, lots and lots of debt, metal bender, um, about to see a huge amount of competition. Um, I think that the the whole space is still fairly volatile because there's a transition to self-driving cars coming, and despite what uh, Musk says, I don't think that they're at the forefront of self-driving cars. I think there are. There, there's a pretty well-known chart that does the rounds that's got other companies, uh, Google particularly, uh, that have much better self-driving technology. I think you know the CEO is a little bit erratic. It's run up a lot this quarter, so it's much, much more expensive, which you know doesn't necessarily make it a better short. But I, I, I think that it is a pretty good short. I think most people have kind of figured out that it's a pretty good short. I'm st- I have been short before, and I am still short now. With that price action, you're still short. Yeah. Man, that hurts. Yeah, I mean it's small. That, I mean that's been rough. I just sold some uh, some call spreads in the old uh, IRA today, uh, but boy, that thing is ripping. Yeah, it's moving. What you, I mean, yeah, what is the? I don't. The logic of I guess that's. I mean, we can't really know what the logic of any of this stuff is, but it hasn't been a lot of volume, so that's one thing. But. Why? I mean, it's up over seventy billion now for the equity. What? Who looks at that and says, "Yeah, that's a seventy billion dollar company with another how much do they have in debt? Like ten or twenty, twenty more billion or something like that." I mean, it's like, okay. Well, you know, and the, again, not in the investment advice category, but I mean, that's what I—that's why I look a little bit long dated on the call spreads, and I say, okay, well. This thing would need to be like a ninety billion dollar company in order for me to lose on this, and you know maybe I'm risking one one to one and a half percent of the portfolio on it. It's in my IRA, so it's tax advantaged. Like I'll take that bet. Yeah, that's a good bet. But in the meantime, those are priced at zero now. I would say that te- te- the interesting thing about Tesla, I think it's a, at the current price section in it. I think it does illustrate the Soros line about. Uh, reflexivity being a real thing. So when mm. Tesla was down, I think it actually was a better short than where it is up, even though it's much, much more expensive now and you could you know, theoretically expect to earn more for the reason that it would have been much, much harder for them to raise money when they were down. And yeah. now at $70 billion, if they go to raise money, there's much less dilution. Well, I mean, and they got if, the converts, right, that they can stock settle if it's north of 330 If, right? you're, that if you're the 3D... Sure 
3D chess wizard that Musk is supposed to be. How are you not in this market environment? How are you not issuing all the equity you can get your hands on right now at this price? It's perplexing. I mean, I, the, I've I've said that counter. I've given this to a few people. The counter example where instead of getting off the plane to Vegas, he says, uh, you know, we're buying it out at four twenty, funding secured. He says we've taken five billion dollars in investment. It was a sixty billion dollar market cap then. We've taken five billion dollars in investment. That's not much dilution. That's a lot of firepower that keeps them going for a few more years. You know, that's a, it's a totally different story for Tesla now, right? Instead, now he looks a little bit erratic. It's been a wild ride. Maybe they can still get it away though. Do you think there are people who can? Do you think there are many big investors though who are going to stump up that kind of money, or do you think they've got to do some sort of rights offer or something like that to get it from retail? Oh, I wouldn't well, put anything past a sovereign wealth fund at this point. You got Gerber Kiyosaki's going to take down some of it. Ark's going to take down some of it. But five billion—that's a big. I mean, I don't Baron know how much funds do. probably take down a slug. They kind of need that amount, right? They need a big, like they need a big chunk. That's hard to. That's it's not lying around anymore. Now that SoftBank's seen, not doing it. <laughs> have you seen the Cybertruck? <laughs> have you driven one, bro? <laughs> yes. The old, the old working capital from the clusterfuck. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. I mean, they still haven't delivered the Roadster. That's two, that was announced two years ago. Is there like, oh, have, yeah. they, have they built the factory to deliver the Roadster? Do you need a factory? I mean, how do you do these things? Just some tents. You're good to go. Yeah. You just take a bit of, take, lose a bit of parking. You got to tip your cap to him. I mean, I thought, I thought he was on the mat earlier this year and doesn't look the, the like side it now. the truck turned around did, right. do you guys happen to know the other thing that i think is very interesting about that is the amount that he's borrowed against his shares and yeah. there has to be some price point that margin calls happen that are like it's the death blow because he's he has to raise money so he's selling to to cover his short or to cover his uh leverage tesla I mean, q is all over it Tes and then yeah tesla q is all over this i think tesla q said it was 150 or 160 it's something like that so it didn't get that far away from it it was down at like what two two something earlier this year yeah i think it was under that i think it it had a one handle in yeah front i think of it, it did get under 200 this guy's he's got his icarus trade going on i mean that's the same thing that uh uh, who's the who's the who's the gas guy who drove his car into a into an overpass? Aubrey McClendon. Yes, thank you, Aubrey McClendon. And was it Chesapeake? Chesapeake. Yeah. So, Great podcast series on that by Yahoo Finance, by the way. Shout out to Yahoo Finance for it. It was fantastic, like a three part series. It was great. I, I did it. hear from someone they and I don't you know obviously this is like rumor upon rumor, but. The the idea that he committed suicide supposedly uh, apparently doesn't gel with anything that anyone who actually knows about it. And apparently he liked to drive really fast and multitask on like two different phones and never wore seatbelts. Good chance so, you heard that from me because that's on the Yahoo podcast and oh, I listened okay. to it when we were on our excursion. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it was like a Jeffrey Epstein style suicide where he just gets the, the hyoid bones in his neck snapped and there's no they turn off all the cameras and the uh the two uh the two security guards are just conveniently like 
checking Twitter or something at the time, checking Instagram. <laughs> no, man. They were talking about him. They said, like, he, he just wanted to drive 100 miles an hour everywhere, hated seatbelts, and always was on a phone. You should have to like disclose that, that in, your, in your report. Like, you should have to tell people that's how you drive. That's right. Yeah, that's that is in a 10K. <laughs> Particularly in a gas explorer. Yeah. This guy is super good at raising funds in oil and gas. You're dependent on him. And by the way, he drives 100 miles an hour everywhere and doesn't wear a seatbelt. Okay. So, so who's short haven't we done? Both of yours. Uh, well, yeah, I was I was going to do Tesla as well for all the same reasons. On top of the fact that when I think about uh, automotive as an industry. It's a bad business, yeah. Oh, it's like, it'd be like, you know, being a clothing retailer, but it costs a billion dollars for every line that you have to, to put out, right? And you the swinging and miss potential on billions of dollars of allocation are so high. Right. It's it's. You could. It's hard to dream up a worse business, honestly. Um, and even when things are going great, what do you get for your multiple on that business? Typically, right. everyone knows how cyclical it is. They never pay up for it, unless in this completely weird instance, people are paying up for it. Right. And, uh, it's. It boggles the mind. Because it's a. Uh, it's an iPad bro. on wheels. It's a. Yeah, it's an iPad on wheels. It's. It's a tech company. Do you want to do okay. Peloton? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a valuation short. I actually like the product a lot. I I think uh, that, I mean, I chose my hotel in New York because they had Pelotons. I enjoyed it. It's now worth $7 billion. That's 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 the beginning and the end of my, my pitch. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it's like at a billion-dollar valuation, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's it just, how are you going to sell that many bikes? It's Have you seen laser- those ads, man? They're yeah, that's right. Do you that's think that nice. someone who spends two and a half thousand dollars on a bike has that? Do you think? I mean, how do they think about the the, the ongoing? Like, do, <laughs> do you brick it if you don't pay for the thirty whatever dollars a month for on for for the live shows? Still I think pedals, most doesn't it? Pay. Yeah, I the, if you've ever done it, like the the actual uh, class is pretty fun, and it's more fun than a traditional spin class because you're ranked among everybody and you can see your output you can see how well you're doing uh then like you know there's it's like me and a bunch of fat people and i'm trying to beat the other fats (laughs) (laughs) and then there's like the really fit people and i'm like i'm never catching them but whatever that's not my peer group anyway um so 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 we're back to comps again that's right yeah i just (laughs) it's just relative value for me in the peloton game but i do think it's like it's a better mousetrap yeah, I had this idea. I think I think it's kind of a it's a it's a an interesting business model because they're it's really a clever it's a clever business, and I think that I, I'm I'm just trying to think through like that spending the two and a half thousand dollars on the bike or whatever the bike costs does that then do you do you factor in do you think well I've now got four hundred dollars a year as well in expense like to access these to access these shows does that make you more or less likely like do you, do you hang in there. If you're paying $2,500 for a bike that doesn't go anywhere, I don't think you care about the subscription cost that much. But then for you... now, the residual value is pretty good. Even finding used ones is well, pretty that's, tough. That's fair. Do you then um, uh, do, do you switch off? 
from what the the platform but can, can do you just yeah, turn, can you turn it during off? the holiday season when you're just eating and not really exercising you it more, you... more often yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> January, i think turn that back way. i actually think that it's pretty good value i mean most of these gym classes that people pop into are like 20 bucks a pop so 30 bucks a month and you can ride it eight times a month i mean that's not that bad uh i you know i just think it's i just think the valuation's insane do you own one no i want to if anybody out there wants to send me one one of our three listeners <laughs> hook me up well i think that's coming up on time so uh hey, real quick though uh if we would like to hear other people's uh buy trade short ideas if you have something good so maybe like a hashtag for twitter would be good so maybe like vah bts might be a good thing so that way we can find it and uh see who's got the best one and maybe maybe anything interesting we'll talk about on the next episode sounds good what do we, do we have any uh listener questions no i don't have one this week yeah i don't <laughs> think i do either send us one come on the three of you do your part there's chaos in the background here that's that's, that's my little man <laughs> Because it's the holidays. I like it. it. Happy holidays, everybody. Well, see you next week. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Take care. Bye, Value Nerds. Move with the rhythm. Shake it up. Stop when the clock hits 13.